five, four, three, two, one. Liftoff. We have a liftoff. Here we go. It's game time. Unforgettable. Welcome to Sports and More, where almost anything goes. Coming to you from the marsh just outside of Edmonton, Alberta, here's your host, Dean Millard. That's one small step for man, one giant leap for mankind. Nice to be in orbit. He said, well... Dave, there's no other way to put it. This guy pees on himself. I said, okay. Well, I said, he's going to love it here because we have yellow pants. So like fill your boots, man, or go to town because no one will notice. So I didn't think much of it. And then, you know, you're not in the dressing room all the time, but then you sort of, people start talking about this guy's kind of weird behavior. And he was very pleasant. I really enjoyed working my time with him, but... Welcome to another edition of Sports and More, the podcast, episode 21, giving you a little bit of a tease of what you can expect later um, with a story about the the urinator uh, from my good friend Dave Jameson, uh, former communications guru at the Edmonton Eskimos, and now currently can be heard er, uh, noon until 2, rather, TSN 1260, Monday through Friday. So changing things up a little bit here on sports and more of the podcast. Um, you know, we used to do things like the top three and the question of the day, best and worst, uh, John Candy characters. I still do all of that, but that has been now shifted over to sports and more live, which can be heard Monday through Friday, 2 p.m. Mountain time till 4 p.m. on the 12 ounce sports radio network. You can listen to it through TuneIn, through Streama. You can also listen to it straight from the website, 12OunceSportsRadio.com. That's www.12OunceSportsRadio.com. So you can listen to it live, 2 till 4, or you can go to the 12 Ounce Radio website and just click on the replays and listen to my show. And I spread out all those segments uh, throughout the week. So if you don't hear it live, you can hear the replays, or you can just uh, uh, subscribe uh, to the 12-Ounce Sports Radio Network uh, on Apple Podcasts, if you want, or SoundCloud, uh, if you are uh, a non-Apple customer. So just wanted to let you know we're making a bit of a change on how we do things. Uh, this podcast is going to just focus more on uh, long-form good interviews, uh, which is something I absolutely love doing and telling stories. We've got some awesome guests lined up for the uh, future. Um, by the way, next week, though, This show usually comes out on Tuesdays. It'll be moved to Thursday, a special Halloween edition next Thursday to get you in the mood. It's going to come out uh, early Thursday morning, so you'll have plenty of time throughout the day to listen. Uh, We're going to talk some horror movies that maybe you'll want to put on your list for Halloween night. And of course, I want to direct you to Podcast Alley. That's where all of my podcasts are. This one, of course, the Prospects Baseball Show and the Cannabis 101 podcast. Now, you can listen to all kinds of interviews from all walks of life. You can enter our contests uh, from our page, 
and get in touch with us as well. All right, all right, all right. All right, indeed. We also, of course, still have our Acme Meat Market Trivia Contest, a gift card from Acme Meat Market up for grabs. You can go in and say hi to Corey, Amanda, and their wonderful staff at the Ritchie Market in Edmonton, 9570 76th Avenue. You can check out their website as well, acmemeatmarket.ca. Since 1921, and know that when you get something from Corey the Butcher, and that is indeed his Twitter handle, you are getting it from one of Canada's top butchers, recently named to Team Canada for the World Butchers Challenge in September 2020. All right, before we get to Dave Jameson, we've got to give you the question. You'll have to listen for it, the answer, during the interview if you don't know it. The question is, who, in the heat of the moment, did Dave Jameson tell to shut up during a legendary Labor Day Classic game with the Stampeders? The answer is in the interview coming up with Dave Jameson. Who, in the heat of the moment, did Dave Jameson tell to shut up during a legendary Labor Day Classic game with the Calgary Stampeders? Before we dive into things with Dave, let's find out just a little bit more about him. Time for the bio. Dave Jameson was born in Edmonton, but the son of a major in the Canadian military, he moved around before settling in Vancouver at three years old. He spent his youth there, graduated high school, and earned a political science degree from UBC. After traveling through Europe, he landed in the broadcast journalism course at BCIT. A job at Expo 86 led him to CKWX Radio, doing hourly news reports on the overnight shift. He later crossed the street to CKNW, the home of the Canucks, Lions, and more, which was at the time the second largest station in Canada. He moved to Edmonton and became the first program director at CHED in the early 90s, as the station made the switch from music to talk radio. In 98, he joined the Eskimos as their communications guru and was involved with marketing as well. A 14-year run that included some great cups ended in 2012, but he stayed in sports, joining the Edmonton Rush of the National Lacrosse League in 2012. A year later, he joined TS and 1260 where he can be heard from noon till 2 p.m. Very pleased to have Dave Jameson out here in uh, Podcast Alley, uh, a man I enjoyed working with uh, a lot at TSN 1260. Uh, um, you know, I, I'm, I didn't see you guys a lot when I was working there anyway because I, I was know. at night, but I, when I was in during the daytime, I always enjoyed the uh, the kind of time in the bullpen before everybody went on the air where you just kind of sat and chatted. You need those rooms, don't you, where yeah. you can gather at a workplace? doesn't matter if you're welding or you're doing, you know, you're coding software somewhere. I still think you got to have, and radio is great for that, hey? Like if yeah. you can find that room with bad sofas, bad coffee, and you can hang out and, and, and talk about your shows and talk about sports, it's a great, I find it, a really great place to kind of get ideas. Yeah, I, I you know, and hear you guys talk about what you're doing. And you know, you've obviously, um, you know, I, I always thought working around guys like you and you and I've known each other a long time. I mean, I remember mm-hmm. you showing up, you know, new at ITV slash Global many years ago. Um, you know, hearing your perspectives on sports, right? Because we're all coming at it from a different position, largely. Right. So yeah, I remember those. Uh, those were good days. 
Trish does not like those uh, bullpen sessions. She just keeps leaving the room when I try to. <laughs> to I'm like, hey, well, no, I want to talk about my. She's like, listen, I got. Uh, I got stuff I got to anything do. Anything to do mm-hmm. other than other than that. All right, so um, you you had an interesting story uh, as we heard in the bio. You moved yeah. around a lot. Uh, mm-hmm. Your dad was in the military. So um, once you uh, settled out in Vancouver. What's the perspective of a guy who grew up in Vancouver of the Edmonton Oilers in the 80s? Well, uh, we I saw a lot of them celebrating, uh, hovered around the Vancouver goaltender of the day uh, with their arms in the air. So that's my memory of the Oilers yeah. coming in and absolutely laying waste to the Canucks who were badly dressed, as you recall, back in those days. I, I, uh, I like the V. Oh, I know. And, and now it's cool. But back not, yeah. then you were like, oh, God, yeah, not only then. not only do we suck, we look like we suck, right? Right. Um, so my memory is, is, is of excellence, hockey excellence, of watching a team play a sport in a way that was different from virtually anybody else at the time. I mean, everybody copied or Mm -hmm. tried to what the Oilers were doing. They just didn't have the kind of talent Edmonton did. So for me, it was, um, you know, you're watching people do things that you hadn't seen on the ice before. So that's my memory of the Oilers is really laying it to the Canucks um, and and also going, damn it, how do they do that year after year after year, and why can't we even get close? I grew up in Winnipeg, yeah, and you know, oh. I, I was an Oilers fan, sure, uh, because of Andy Moog, but I, the older I got, the more sorry I felt for Winnipeg. Um, and, right, right, and Vancouver so. in the same thing because yeah. they were all in the same division, LA to a degree, but whatever. The Oilers. And the Flames dominated that division, mm-hmm. and they just kicked around and toyed with the Jets in 1990. And the Jets were pretty good. I mean, the you Jets have had to, Dale uh, Howardchuk and Steen. Like yeah, they had good they players. Very much so. Very much so. I mean, so we're brothers in misery. Yeah. I mean, you've seen it from a different perspective. I mean, you know, the Canucks from time to time would have an okay team, and you know, we know when they got Pavel Bury and all that other sure, stuff. Yeah. But but there were a lot of times, man, where they were just got ragdog, ragdolled rather by the Oilers. And you know, you I remember going to some games and thinking, God, this is. I mean, this hurts to watch. Yeah, it's it was tough. Um, they just demolished, and the Jets never even really had a sniff of. Uh, well, nineteen ninety was was their right. closest. Who was your favorite? Uh, Who's your favorite Canuck growing up oh. then? Well, okay, I'm fifty seven, right? So I have a memory of watching the first ever Canuck game. Right, oh, the Pacific okay. Coliseum. So they're celebrating their 50th year, and of course they played the LA Kings in that first game. My best friend, Brent Venables, growing up, his uncle, Larry Mickey, was on that Kings team. So my first ever hockey game was the last game of the Canucks' first year in the NHL, and I can remember it. I, you know how, Dean, there's things in your life where you can, if you close your eyes and just sort of think about it, I, can, there, I yeah. can get back to the Coliseum of me in 1970 um, with my dad, with my friend Brent, and I can still see us. We had standing room tickets when they, 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 when they used to sell standing room at the Pacific Coliseum. And I think we were on the blue line. So we're looking straight down at the King's bench and they had those beautiful purple uniforms. Yeah. The Canucks were in their, their it's a vintage white. The ice was white. The place was packed. People were smoking in the Coliseum back when you could do that <laughs> stuff. And I can still, I still vividly remember that was my first professional hockey game in person. And it's a memory. God, I've forgotten lots of stuff, but I've never forgotten that. 
And so, you know, for favorite players, I mean, God, you know, Andre Boudria, the for the guys that you sort of became stars, Orland Curtinback, guys like that. And as, you know, you get older, and I was a very avid fan. You know, I, I collected the books. I went, you know, I had all those, the Esso Power Player series. Right, yeah. Um, and so, you know, it became obviously guys like Pavel Bure. I really liked Igor Larionov. Um, you know, that was his first NHL team. Yeah. yeah. And, you know, over the years, I mean, there were guys, I mean, uh, Jerry Gillis and Ron Settlebauer and the late Rick Blight and people like that. But, you know, Vancouver, they weren't very good, right? So it was a changing cast. If you had somebody good, they didn't seem to stay very long. And that is a tough, um, you know, Vancouver, even though it's got the, you know, the laid back West Coast image, it's a tough town. It's it's tough on its athletes. It's tough on its teams. Mm. And and they, they um, you know, you can have success for a bit, but Vancouver goes, you know, you're not very good this year. I'm going to go to the beach. I'm going to go. And now I'll go to Seattle if I want to watch, right. you know, other sports. And and so all of that is very, so I think it's a really demanding market. Other, you know, say, ah, it's West coast. Nobody cares. They care a lot. They care a lot. Do you think, uh, before we get into uh, a bunch of other stuff, do you think that the, do you buy into the, uh, Canadian markets, uh, are harder uh, on athletes, um, or, you know, the, specifically Edmonton, Yeah, you know, there's the, the thought that, you know, fans drive players away from Edmonton. Do you think it's any different in Edmonton than it is in any other Canadian city? I don't think maybe so. Ottawa Dean, might be maybe, the... Yeah, Ottawa might be sort of that kind of pseudo-Canadian. And if you're from Ottawa and you're hearing this, please, no offense taken. Right. But you know what I mean? It's it's. I mean, if we're guilty of anything, Dean, it's probably that we care too much. Sure. And and I'll, But I'll take that over apathy. And you, I mean, you've both been, you know, we know markets. And yeah. Vancouver might even be one of those where once the the crowd or your fan base turns apathetic you've got a hell of a job to get them back. So I would rather it be here or like a place like Edmonton, because it tells me that even though the, the, in the Oilers case, the team hasn't been very good for many, many years, um, that, that, that the sport and this brand, if you want, uh, still matters a great deal. And we know the connectivity between hockey and certainly the prairies, but hockey in Canada. Um, but it's, it, it burns, really intensely here. And I'm okay with that. I'm okay with it. And I think when you go around the city, like I don't, mind you, I don't pay much attention to things like Instagram and, you know, hey, did you see that an oiler was at this restaurant? I think largely we're pretty respectful. I hope so. Yeah, the, I the, hope the, so too. It's the the bad apples, the small, oh, you know, sure. the people that are heckling Connor McDavid. Yeah. Like that is not the, uh, the average Edmonton sports fan. Um, you know, there are people in every city that go over the line. Yep. But, you know, you, you, I, I know all about apathy. I did that post-game show for four years when they were garbage <laughs> except for one. Yes, uh, Hernan you, you've and I, you've Hernan and, I and, and, and Connor, when he was there, were trying to figure out how the heck we're going to get through another Saturday night mm -hmm. in January when the team's already out of it. So um, I, I'd imagine the tone of your show and everybody else's show is much, much different. Like, is it, is it, sunshine and lollipops on the text line are you still you know, getting the uh, go eat a bag of blah 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 from so and so sure and when can we get shea weber That's right, right? Yeah, and yeah. you know what i think is happening now dean and it's a really funny thing to to watch this play out is oiler fan has been conditioned for disappointment oiler fan of a certain age i mm -hmm. should say and and so it almost feels as if 
they're expecting something bad to come down the pipe here. I was talking and, about that on my show today. That's I, I unfortunately I live that way sometimes. Well, my mental health. I, I you sure? I I have a great run going, and mm -hmm. then I wait for the bad. That's a terrible way to live, especially that's a terrible way to live as a fan base. You have to somehow find a way to enjoy it while it's happening. Well, and, and you know what? That's that's great advice. Um, and I wish more people would just say, look, we're this is fun. This is good. We're watching something exciting. And whatever may be coming next, this is kind of why we play the games, sure. right? Is is the the doubt, the expectation, the anticipation. And I, I so my I guess if I have a message to Oiler fan is is just run with this. And then if it gets bad, well, at least you've got experience in dealing with that. Uh, you know, and, yeah. you, and and you can get through it. But that that's look, people can't be um, I think terribly disappointed with anything they've seen. Is it sustainable this kind of success? I mean, God, we could have another whole podcast on that, but that's just enjoy, would you? Yeah, it's, uh, and you know, that doesn't mean you can't be critical and say that, no. uh, you know, maybe Connor McDavid and Leon Draisaitl weren't as sharp last night, nope. but you know, the, the, the other, there was other guys that were good. So you can still be critical and enjoy it. Um, but you know, I, let's, I, what do you think of this? This is ridiculous. Seven, one at the time of this, uh, recording seven, one and one yep. going into Minnesota, um, you know, it's great that they've uh, won in comeback fashion. They've won other ways. Uh, I, the biggest difference, Dave, is they have only had one game where a goaltender is at a save percentage below 903. Uh, you know what? The goaltending has been great, and I think that's it's, the biggest difference and the biggest turnaround from last year. What about you? Well, absolutely. The goaltending has is the you know the central piece in any team's success and failure. Um, James Neal is obviously a great sure. story, but what's neat is you're starting to see, um, I think a higher level of appreciation for what Ryan Nugent Hopkins can do and has done you know, really like he's just mm -hmm. a, a great soldier for this franchise, but Ethan Bear's development. So, you know, there's, there's a whole bunch of really good storylines happening and isn't it nice that night after night we don't have to come back to gee connor's really fast yeah okay we've 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 determined that but let's talk about more of a team and i think this feels at least to this point like it's more of a team as opposed to a couple of stars kind of putting everyone on their back and you know you're hoping right yeah and you know they have guys that are waiting in the wings, mm -hmm. ready to sure. make an impact. Kali Yamamoto off to a great start. And, uh, you know, Tyler Benson has been trending up. Sam Gagne uh, gets called up. So it's they 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 actually, and, you know, will, I want to see William Lagason in a game soon because they have now some talent pushing for those spots and, and you know, kind of barging their way in to, uh, to a lineup that has not had a lot of production from the farm in the past. And it feels like it's real hope, Dean, as opposed to imagined hope, mm. you know, where, and God, you've lived it where you go, look, there really isn't anyone in Bakersfield. Trust me on this. And yet people are clinging to, you know, pick a name of a yeah. player. Now it feels legitimate and that this is a Fran is an organization that is pointed in the right direction. And that's not just the NHL team. It's, well, as you know, it's mm. it's all through player development. It's Bakersfield. It's anything that ultimately leads to whatever is going to happen on the ice. It's moving in the right direction. I'm always confused when I say ironically, because people always say that's not ironic. So mm. I don't know if this okay. is ironic or not, but the team is 7-1-1, one, and, one, and there's tickets everywhere. 
You can find tickets mm. for these games everywhere. People wow. don't want the season tickets because of the garbage that happened for so many years. Sure. And 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 I think people are still worried about Lucy pulling the football away as they go to kick it, being Charlie Brown. So, you know, maybe in in December, January, if they're they're keeping it going, you will see fewer and fewer tickets. But you know, on my Daily Show, we have a, a seat giant, uh, seatgiant.ca. There's mm. tickets always, and they're not expensive. It's strange. I don't know if it's ironic, but it's strange. Well, it is strange is a good word for it. Not entirely unexpected. I mean, you look at what's happening in North America right now, Dean, with a, a lot of leagues, a lot of teams that are challenged with um, how to get people out of off the couch, away from the flat screen, and come and experience it the live. The HD or 4K what, flat screens, exactly. right? I it's mean, so good. TSN, um, you know, where I work currently, does a terrific job at the Canadian Football mm-hmm. League. And you look around the league, and I mean, the team here in, in Edmonton, the Eskimos, are down dramatically in terms of attendance. Um, that was probably, you know, some of that performance, although it's been an okay team this year, but they, I think they priced themselves beyond the market. So, mm-hmm. you know, they have to retrench, go back and revisit their pricing. But I think the, the, the larger issue is, man, why do I want to get in the car and drive and park and then pay the prices inside when I can get this experience at home? Um, Pro Sports has got an, and an issue. And my popcorn and beer is a hell of a lot cheaper at you home. You got it. You got it. And people, I mean, Dean, we don't have to tell your listeners. We know what we're living through here in, in Alberta. Sure, yeah. Right? So people are making hard decisions about how they're going to spend um, their entertainment dollars, if in fact they even have any entertainment dollars. I don't blame the fans for not coming. I never fan shame. I, I hate it when people say, you know, you must attend. No, because hockey or football, where I used to work, it's not an essential, Dean. It's That's not right. It's not light, it's water, not oxygen. It's none of that. It's a nice thing to do and to have at your disposal if you want to use it, but it's not a life essential. So if people are deciding to stay away, okay, the market's speaking. Now, if the team upholds its end of the bargain mm-hmm. and plays well and wins and sort of earns or re-earns the respect of the fans, okay, if they're still not coming out and we're into March, mm-hmm. you know, and maybe even a little deeper, then it's, whoa, then we've got a different yeah. conversation. You know, uh, in Atlanta, concessions are ridiculously cheap. Yes. And that's where, they, at the Super Bowl, they were mm-hmm. like $3 burgers yep. or something like that. In San Francisco, I think they just unveiled that a bunch of food items are now coming in your season ticket package. Mm-hmm. Uh, so some of them are getting it. Um, ticket prices here are, or concession prices are crazy high mm-hmm. here. A friend of mine said to me the other day, he said, you know, I live in Red Deer. Uh, and you know how many times I've driven up to watch the Oilers in, uh, a, a snowy weekday night and they've been terrible. And then I got to drive home. He goes, you know, when that's never happened to me, when I've gone to see a concert. So there are right. people that are saying, Hey, why am I going to spend my thousands of dollars of entertainment money? on a team that hasn't shown up when, you know, very rarely does Dave Grohl have a bad night or or Elton John John or whatever it might be, right? Yeah. People are way more, because listen, money is tight in Alberta and we know that. So people are a lot more choosy with their entertainment dollar. And I think that's happening across Canada, actually. And and you were just uh, at Elton John Mm -hmm. and I'm going to venture a guess. You're going to remember that night for many years. Dean... And the wonderful Trish are not going to remember that mid-December 2-2 mm-hmm. tie with Minnesota. Yeah. And yet you probably paid more for the 2-2 tie in mid-December with Minnesota than you did for Elton John. Yeah. So 
okay, and I'm a big music fan, so and I love hockey, so here I am saying, you know, you spend one but not the other. I'm not saying either, but just think about in your life of the things that you, and you want to spend, you know, a decent mm-hmm. amount of money on. Um, yeah, people want memories and experiences, and, you know, they're the hockey, they it all blends into one after a yeah. while, unless you're there for game seven and they win the cup, right? Then you remember that game. Yeah, but it, a lot of times it's, you know, for Oilers fans, as, as he was saying, it's, mm. you know, it's not a 2-2 tie. It's like 6-1, they're getting blitzed. <laughs> well, yes, you know, exactly. You know, uh, Eric Belanger is out, uh, you know, in the third period trying to get the Oilers going. Like, that's yep. just what it was, be- it mm-hmm. was like, so... Um, okay, so you, you mentioned about apathy. Yes. And you worked for the Eskimos for 14 years. I did. The Canadian Football League would, you know, do cartwheels for a year if they could get the uh, the anger, anger, you know, not mm-hmm. the anger, but the passion that comes sure. out of, uh, of NHL fans. What does the, like, you've worked in this league, mm-hmm. you worked in the league when it was uh, really good, and and now we're seeing the CFL and, you know, Sorry, but TSN has to uh, play its part in this because the the, so. c- the coverage is so good, and it, yeah. like you, that sounds weird. No, but it, it, TSN is making the product look so good on the air right. that people are like, "What?" The CFL has a real issue on its hands. Do they? Oh, not? they've got a bunch, Dean. If I can, um, if I can just sort of commandeer the the floor here, yeah, it's got that issue um now you would say well that's a good problem to have i mean tsn is the biggest partner of the league and we our company writes a rather large check um which allows the cfl to really kind of continue doing business in in the fashion it is all of that said uh, you've got people staying away in large numbers they've come back a little bit in montreal saskatchewan is strong as it typically is yeah. Win- winnipeg is also very good uh, vancouver is really challenged i i worry for my old uh, hometown team um, but all of that said, you know, the CFL, they launched this 2.0 initiative to, you know, reach a broader audience through international football and then have some international presence on the various rosters. I think that idea may be good in theory, but really hasn't fully been fully realized or even close to fully realized. Um, and now, and you know, and noticing, you know, the Eskimos this year veered between lowering prices, which was great. Um, and then spending a, way too much money, I'm told, on bringing in Roman Reigns, um, who was briefly an Edmonton Eskimo. And I worked with Joe, uh, or Roman, if you prefer. Um, so I don't know if they absolutely know yet who they want to be. They know who they are or were in terms of their fan base. But a big fear, and when I was there, Dean, I looked out, you know, I'd be in the press box looking down, and I'd go, damn, there's more people here with more gray hair than me. Mm-hmm. That's not a good thing. It's great. We thank you for your support. You've been awesome. You've been there since Clark Stadium, but where are the young people? And the young people, uh, I'm led to believe, want a different fan experience. They want a different entertainment experience than, you know, maybe, you know, your daddy's CFL. Right. And that's, you've got to reimagine yourself. I mean, that's, successful businesses do that constantly. They may look the same in their logo and what they do, but they are underneath, they are changing the way they interact with their customers. And, you know, pro sports or any sports is no different than, you know, software or anything else. I mean, you, you have customers. That's what they are. Yeah, I just, you know, well, and, and you've talked about it on your show. Mm-hmm. Um, some of the decision-making by the Eskimos over the past couple of years has pushed fans away. I, I, I don't know why, and, and I don't know, why you would say 
this season ticket is going to cost you this much, but then during the season we're going to let kids in for free. Now that's business, I guess. I just from from a, if I was a paying customer, I'd be like, Wait it's a like minute. somebody's skipping the line. Yeah, and that's a fair. And and you know what? When when that was announced, um, we it was before the new president Chris Preston was introduced, so it was an interim period after Len Rhodes's departure. There were people saying exactly that. Wait a minute. I've been there since Clark Stadium. Right. I faithfully pay my whatever the dollar amount is. And I, you know, take my seat. I go to the games. And you've always, you know, the Eskimos and every other CFL team has always told their fans, it's a gate-driven league. We need you Mm -hmm. in the seats. And then they go and do that. Um, I mean, there's no small amount of, I'll call it desperation in that. I don't disagree with the move. I think it was something they had to do, but I know where you're exactly that comment. I heard it from people both mm-hmm. on my, on my show. And when you meet them and you know, they know what I used to do and they'll say, huh? Like, wait a minute. Where and where are the benefits for the season ticket holder, whatever that may look like, right? right? If it's a hot dog or drink or a shirt or whatever it is, uh, there's not enough of that. But, you know, I, I know we're getting really granular on it, but the overriding thing is, mm-hmm. um, is, is that relationship. I mean, Dean, you covered the team. We had crowds, um, usually for the Labor Day rematch. And of course the one against Saskatchewan, over 60,000 yeah. people, those days aren't coming back outside of a great cup. And even then, right. Even then I, and so yeah. you got to try and say, or figure out, okay, what are we now and what's realistic in terms of our business model? Is it a, is it a 25,000 seat league now? 30,000, maybe, you know, that might right. be where the CFL is. Yeah. I, I don't know. know why you wouldn't uh, go to that model. Yeah. You know, as great as Commonwealth is, it's ridiculous. It's. You never build big. it today. You never, no. you would never have Not that stadium. No, and, and, and it, you know, it, it probably wouldn't even be situated there. But all of that said, you're, you're absolutely right. I mean, it might be, you know, you might have more of the, along the lines of a Hamilton. Mm-hmm. That kind of, you know, fits perfectly for what the league truly yeah. is. Not Mosaic. what it, not what it used to be mm-hmm. back, yeah. it, you know. You can't, it, if you live in the past, you're yeah. going to fail in the future, yep. right? Okay, so 14 years you were with the Edmonton Eskimos, um, I want to ask you about a few sort sure. a few maybe uh the I always find it funny when like Americans get up here mm. like there you had to have had a few guys oh. that you were you were like what is the, you know how th- this person did they just come you know out of from Mars or something because they almost act like it's uh another planet when they well, get here. Uh, well, let me, let me tell you a couple of stories that uh, one, uh, Jed Roberts, who you, I know you yeah. know well, and, and one of the things that Jed would do once the weather turned and the, in Edmonton, which, you know, God, some years it could be August, but you know what I'm saying? Like that's sort mm-hmm. of October and we start to get the chill and the yep. leaves are coming off. And guys are wearing toques now. Yes. And yep. the Eskimos used to have a little practice field, a grass practice field right. across from the, the main stadium and the, the old Clark stadium was over there. Anyhow, the, um, so it was Kate, there was a fence around it. And I remember, and Jed never got tired of doing this joke on new guys who would join the team sort of in season and they come up from down South. Um, and they would say like, what, what's, you know, Jed would sort of set them up and go now, Hey guys, during practice, occasionally doesn't happen all the time, but you got to be on your toes. We will have polar bears (laughs) and we'll come to the field and they'll just be outside, but don't go outside the fence. And you guys would be, you know, cause it's Jed Roberts, right? I mean, Jed's a vet and he's like, and he do it very solemn and very serious. And he's like, do not screw around with these bears. They're, they're white and they're, they're looking for garbage or maybe humans, 
you know, and they're like, Whoa. God, you know, and some guy from Florida is like, damn, I thought the alligators That's were right. Yeah. Jesus, I didn't think I'd be doing this. And you're like, don't worry, just get through practice, keep your head down and then get into the dressing room after don't hang around out here where they can get you. Um, and the other story of guys not kind of knowing where they're coming from, uh, Greg Marshall used to be an assistant coach mm-hmm. with us. And I remember Greg going in the coach's office at the old building, which was tiny and you could kind of hear all the conversations and Greg saying to a guy on the phone now, okay, you've got your passport, son. Okay. That's good. That's a good first step. When you get to the border, I think he was driving up smile and tell him you're coming to play football. And you're like, oh God, I can just imagine what that guy, like he had no idea. I mean, you talk to guys and they'll, they'll say, yeah, I'm aware of Canada. Mm-hmm. I kind of heard that there was a league, but I didn't realize. And then when they get here, they get, some of them get really humbled. The great story about, oh boy, where have I signed? What am I doing in Canada? Was came from Bertrand Berry. Bertrand Berry was the outstanding defensive player for the Arizona Cardinal. They may have been called Phoenix. No, Arizona. So he came to us, I think out of Notre Dame. And Bertrand Berry arrived in season. And so he gets here and he was kind of considered, you know, oh, Jesus, this guy was a bit of a stud in college. So he gets here and go run, does the, you know, practice. And I think he got into a game and then he went in to see Tom Higgins, who was our GM at the time. I don't think Tom was coaching. And Bertrand came in, huge guy. And I remember him coming in the office and he walked in and he had his contract and on it, because he came mid, mid or late season. And so it was $30,000, let's say. And he's looking at it and... I don't know his agent, I guess, didn't inform him. And so Bertrand's looking at this number and kind of slides the paper across the desk to Tom. And he's like, okay, just so I'm clear, like this 30,000 is per game. <laughs> and Tom and, and Higgins goes, um, no, that'd, that'd be for uh, all of the games. All the games. And he went, you know, I'm good. I'm out. And just left? And left, but the great part is, so the guys next year, the following year, are down at Joey's where everyone used to go back in the day on Jasper, and the the Monday night game's on. And lo and behold, there's Bertrand Berry for the Denver Broncos at the time, absolutely like just godzilla all over the field, tackling people, picking them up, smashing them, breaking them in half. And they're like, that was the dude was was us last year. What? What's going on? Like, and it was that quit. Like he, yeah, 30,000 every game. Nope, 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 I'm not, not at all. I'm, I'm good. I'm not doing this for that. That's basically what he said. I'm not yeah. playing this sport for that kind of money. How does he get to Edmonton and, in, I, and then realize? Well, I like, mean, I guess his first call is to fire his agent probably. Well, that would be a good place to start and go, hey, dude, next time you send me north, how about we have a conversation as to what, and are these our dollars? Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Because the, the, the controller there, our, our finance person used to sit across from me and more than a few occasions, she would say, I could hear her saying, well, we do our taxes differently in Canada. Hmm. And so the number you actually see on your contract, fill in the blank linebacker from Mississippi, that's actually not yours. That's right. We have province. And then she'd always end with, but we don't have a sales tax. As if to say, yeah, that, give me that 5%. 5% yeah. is going to help you out. Because yeah. there was a guy in minor league baseball this year that posted his salary. Mm-hmm. And, for, you know, it's not like that anymore in the CFL. No. They're, they're not millionaires, but it was really bad. 
uh, for, for a long time sure, of um, where guys were, you know, if you were a practice squad player in the CFL, you were below the poverty line. John Avery, who was a former number one uh, first-round pick in the National Football League, who you know, um, and John was with us for the 2002 season. He led the right. league in rushing. He was an amazing player to watch. Um, I remember having to go and pick up John to do a an appearance of some kind and walked in. He was rooming with three other guys in, like, a two-bedroom. Somebody was sleeping in the closet, like, in the, in you know, late, like, just sort of had an air mattress kind of deal going. And I'm thinking, God, this is John Avery. Like, he's had NFL money. Right. And this is where, not for long, but um, yeah, it's it. There was a time, and I, it's better now, and it should be. I mean, Mike Riley's what seven hundred thirty thousand a year. Mm -hmm. That's good. That's good money. You should be but able to make. Only but that's only one guy. One guy exactly. That. Exactly. So it's you know it's top. Yeah. It's top heavy. But you're right. For a long time, it was like, it truly was a second job. Yeah. There, there's probably a lot of guys that you saw that didn't think they needed belonged there, right? Like there were like uh, almost every guy in the CFL probably comes in and thinks, but there's some guys that think that and then buy in and go in. And there's some guys that think that and never buy in. Give right? me a great story. Riddell Anthony, you can look him up. He was a receiver played, uh, drafted, I think fifth overall by the Tampa Buccaneers. So he comes to camp, and, you know, when you got a guy that had buzz or some pedigree around him, you'd hear it, right? And, of course, I used to write the press releases, mm -hmm. so I'd go, oh, gee, wow, this guy, this dude, this dude's a baller, as we used to say. He can ball. Um, so he gets out there, and we had the first preseason game, and he was in camp, and he just kind of looked like, you know, everybody else running around in tight yellow pants and whatever. So we get to the first game. It's a hot night at Commonwealth Stadium, and I forget who we were playing. Anyhow... He comes off after an offensive series. Remember, this is a, like a five overall pick. Like yeah. he, he was a stud somewhere, as, as was often heard and often told to me. All of these guys were stars somewhere. Right. Okay. High school, uh, college, whatever. whatever yeah. At some point, they were the guy. And so Riddell Anthony's out there running around looking good. And then he comes off. And he thinks his he's done, and he can kind of chill and take the helmet off. And oh. they go, hey, go, I forget his number. Like, hey, five. Uh, you're on special teams. That's right. You're on kick coverage. And he kind of went, sorry? Yeah, you're running down on the punt. Like, let's go, chop, chop, you're up. And he, no, Um. again, like he he did I it. I don't do then, windows. I don't, yeah. I'm not doing that stuff. Are you kidding? I'll get killed out there. Yeah, well, that's kind of what we do in this business, right? And so you saw guys coming in who'd done stuff. And, you know, like I had very few bad experiences with players mm -hmm. and I was fortunate, but uh, you know, there were occasion where you had attitude. You had two coming in. Yeah. They didn't think they, they deserved to be there. Someone screwed them over in the NFL um, and they should dominate. And they rarely did. Rarely did. And yeah, Rofton you, never stuck around. You're right. Um, there was not, uh, you know, there's not a lot of guys that came, um, you know, uh, after, Lots of pedigree that spent a long time. Like well, Flutie, Flutie got it. Doug, Flutie Doug, was it, and, but, and bought into it. Yeah, you know? but was Doug Flutie? You know, he was famous for the the hail mary sure. at Boston College, yeah. but he wasn't like uh, Raheem Ishmael, who came up and right. took the big money and kind of no. kind of went from there, right? Yeah, absolutely. No, I mean he he was. I mean, I reach for his name, but you know, he's a, he's a guy that came here and really got himself a leg up to get back in the That's national right. football league. That's he right. used, he used the CFL for, for his personal reason. Um, 
built a, a wonderful career here. I mean, he's revered in this country for yeah. football, and he's still well-regarded down south. Like, he managed to, not many guys can pull off what he did. Warren Moon, of course, started here and mm-hmm. went the other way. Yeah, because, listen, no American football player grows up saying, I want to play in the CFL. Nope. It's just That's the true. fact. It's yeah. No Canadian kid says, I want to play in the AHL or the KHL. No. They all want to play in the NFL. Um, but there are some guys that that get it once they get here, like like uh, Doug Flutie. Um, there's other guys who reach for the shovel, which ah, is yes. probably the most famous story that you get asked about the most, probably from your time with yeah. the Eskimos. Take us through that day. Okay, so there was a guy, and the Xavier Jackson story needs to go back. You need to sort of take it back to his arrival. So Xavier Jackson was a guy, and he was an odd-looking dude, and we used to call him because he was a black guy with dyed blonde hair. And so we would call him uh, back when you could make fun of people, and I mean that sort of, we called him like a very large Oompa Loompa. Okay, yeah. And so he came, he made a terrible error, um... He came to camp and his luggage wasn't on the flight. So he got picked up from the shuttle and brought to Commonwealth Stadium. And he clearly didn't know who Ed Hervey was. Now, Ed at that point had just transitioned out of being a player and was doing community and doing some helping, obviously, in in his football role that he soon grew into, into GMing. So he went up to Ed and he picked the wrong guy on the wrong day to say, hey, can you go to the airport and get my luggage? <laughs> and I arrived at about the time this conversation's happening, and I, I Ed, you know, who you know very well, um, was having none of it. Yeah. And kind of gave him the old Compton stare down, which is, uh, you don't ask me for your bag, and don't bother any of us. Like, get, you know, get figure your it out. Shit. You're an adult. Yeah. yeah, you're an adult. You figure it out, and... Um, you know, I'll see you on the field kind of deal. Like, you know, so he stays with us, Xavier Jackson. And then fast forward a little bit. I'm over at working at the Eskimo office. I come over to the practice field, at which point there people are like waving me over, like get, get over here. Xavier Jackson was a backup defensive lineman, not terribly good, not, not memorable at all, but he had the, um, made a grave error in pissing off Aaron Fiaconi. Mm-hmm. Aaron Fiaconi, a Canadian offensive lineman from Sudbury, Ontario, who was a bouncer in bars in Sudbury. And I've not been to Sudbury, but I hear it's a pretty honest town. Especially on a Saturday night, as Stomp and Tom said. Exactly, Dean. And a lot of disputes get finished, right, with uh, with a fist. And so they locked up, and, you know, as often happens, um, and they get into a tussle. Well, we in Canada fight a little differently when we have jerseys on. And so Aaron grabbed the jersey. And I don't think Xavier had ever had the full, you know, no tie-down strap experience. He got jerseyed, yeah. And he got jerseyed, and Fiaconi fed him, and fast and repeatedly. And so Jackson sort of snaps, too, and is like, you know, what the hell happened there? Anyhow, they separate the parties. and But Xavier Jackson walks off the field very slowly, and Ed Hervey is standing there, and he goes, he'll be back. And he went behind the uh, disposal bin, you know, the big dumpster we had beside the field, and found a shovel and grabbed it and walked back very slowly. You can hear his cleats going over the concrete, and he's got the shovel with him, and people are like, holy shit, this guy's coming out to finish this. Yeah. Like, Fiaconi, you better get the helmet on and get ready. You're back in round two now. And enough people got between them 
And so we're all thinking, well, if that doesn't get you cut from a football team sure. trying to attack a teammate with a shovel, what do you have to do to get cut from the Eskimos? And we weren't very good at the time, so we probably needed everybody, you know, we had. Um, and lo and behold, they just sent him to the dressing room, but they didn't, like he was still with the team briefly, and then they cut him. But it was, um, I mean, it got written up, it got obviously reported, and then it got made its way to the LA Times. And Ed's friends down in LA were like, what are you guys doing up there? Like, I know football's violent, but are you taking shovels to each other? Yeah. Like, well, you know, just sometimes. Like, just sometimes. So what was the aftermath of that when you, you everybody well, gets back to the dressing room and the guy is still there? Well, it, it was an odd, like, it, it, I hadn't seen anything like it. And trust me, I saw a lot of weird things. We had the urinator, the guy who used to pee on himself, and then he threw up on a teammate. I mean, we'll get to that story, Kai Ellis. But it was a different one. It was a weird... Just jotting down yeah, urinator? Yeah, the urinator, okay. Kai Ellis. But it was... It, it, it was just one of those things where, I mean, it was funny. We can tell, and we've told the story many times since, but at the time you're thinking, scary. this could have gone really bad. Yeah. I think we might have buried uh, the lead here, Dave. Uh, the, the urinator. Ur so okay. what's this story? Uh, well, okay. here uh, This one is, it, and for your listeners who might be a little squeamish, I apologize in advance, but it's a podcast, right? That's right. Um, so the Ottawa Renegades were d dissolving. And our friend Arash Madani, who was the PR guy for their final year. Um, so they're having the disposal draft. And I get an email from Arash. And he said, I'm sending you a list of all our players with just a little nugget beside them. So if you get them, you know, be like Kyrie's a bear and just a quick, you know, right. and, there, and just some stuff that he thought I might find helpful. Um, and he said on Kai Ellis, he goes, don't shake his hand. And I thought, well, that's an odd thing to say about, okay. And so I called him, Arash, and I said, what is this about? He said, well, Dave, there's no other way to put it. This guy pees on himself. And I said, okay. What? Well, I said, he's going to love it here because we have yellow pants. So yeah. like fill your boots, go man, to or you go to town because no one will notice. So I didn't think much of it. And then... I, you know, you're not in the dressing room all the time, but then you sort of, th you get, people start talking about this guy's kind of weird behavior. And he was very pleasant. I really enjoyed working my time with him, but I'm down on the field, it's late in the game, and he sacks somebody. He's a huge defensive lineman, like just an absolute, like, redwood of a human being. And he comes off, and he's sacked big, you know, the applause, and everyone's cheering and all that stuff. And he comes off, and he's like, Mr. Jameson, and he sticks out his hand, and I clearly forget Arash's advice. Oh, and of course, all through the game, he's not, you know, he's not running off to use the, the washroom. And so you can imagine that. And he thinks it's very funny, like to do that and wipe his hands on his pants and shake my hand. He thought it was terrific. And I'm like, oh God, okay, you got me. Thank you. And then we were training um, at, and you know, you got to hear stories about him. Like he would throw up at the line of scrimmage. And so all the, all the, and I'm sorry again, Dean, if this wow. is too graphic, he would, he would, but he would throw up so as to put off and distract the old lineman, right? So he's imagine you're in your three-point stance and you're you're doing your business, you're barfing through your mask. <laughs> and so imagine I'm doing that and you're covering me, Dean. You're like, what the hell yeah. am I getting into? I don't want to touch him. And he would do that. And then one, and then I learned later because um, uh, I got, uh, we were at training camp out in, in uh, Stony Plain when we had to relocate. Right. And a player came, you know, he's waving to me from the dressing room. He goes, Jamo, you got to get in here. You got to get in here. This, this shit's got to stop. 
And I said, well, what's the problem? And he goes, because he's peeing all over his own equipment and it's getting on mine. Oh, my and so God. He, he, would, he, would, he would lay it out and pee on it. And, I, I, and finally, like, you know, after many lectures and stuff, it's like, Kai, you can't do this. Like, stop, you know, and he barfed on a guy, one of his own teammates in a practice. And was like, what? I get it. This is your thing, but it's not cool. And stop doing it. Yeah. And, grow, and grow up, I think, your was another one. Your thing is disgusting. Your thing is disgusting. So stop doing it. But anyhow... I mean, you know, in the nicest way possible, Dean, let me just say that the people within a dressing room in pro football, yeah. I don't know if you could find that collection of people. Like, think about the people that you and I ran into over the year. I worked with, and you obviously as a reporter in there, you had Carlo Panero, who was becoming a surgeon. That's right, yeah. He would walk in the room with medical books and still wearing his scrubs yeah. from the U like of A. Straight out of straight surgery. Straight out of surgery. And then you've got another guy on the other side of the room peeing on himself. Yeah. And probably someone who, if they went to university, let's say they didn't graduate, like you had people from, you know, like Ivy League programs, Tim Fleiser, Harvard, right? you know, Rob LeBlanc, McGill, like really smart, smart people, yeah. Chris Morris, a teacher. And then, on you know, all um, kinds of economic backgrounds from the South that and then they didn't on, have any privileges exactly, or anything. Exactly. And so I, that's one of the things that I found so fascinating is that sometimes I just sort of stand there and go, Look at this group. Yeah. I can't believe that on once a week, we get these people to come together for one common goal. Well, Ed Hervey is a, is a great example of a guy who grew up, uh, oh. you know, his, his brother having a gun shoved in his mouth yeah. in Compton, California. Sure. And realizing that football was his way out, mm -hmm. and, you know, gets to play at USC, uh, ends up with a great career. And, uh, you know, you know, and then there's a guy who, you know, maybe grew up as a, a child prodigy quarterback with all the privilege and in, in the oh, same cool. locker room and they got to come together, black, white, whatever. It, it, it's, it still astonishes me. I mean, we talk about, you know, and so we should about things like diversity and inclusion and all that stuff. Look, it may not be elegant, uh, terribly, um, but the football locker room, at least the CFL locker room, was so, uh, I mean, it was just like a tapestry of, mm -hmm. of personalities and people and backgrounds and stuff. I think that's one of the things that I really loved about it was because n no day felt the same as the other. And you would go in and have conversations. I mean, you know, one of the things my job afforded me was the ability to sometimes kind of just sit down and get to know guys, mm -hmm. right? I mean, Ed Hervey was a great example. I, he's a dear friend of mine. But other guys that, um, you know, you just sit down, they were killing time, they were getting spatted or what, getting ready to go to meetings, and you just talk. And, and you got to know a little bit about them as people, um, where they came from, and, right. and that, I, I really cherish those kind of conversations I had. What was the conversation like on the way home from the Labor Day Classic? Ah! Uh, uh, what the uh, with the swinging helmet the, and the, the uh, uh, swinging helmet uh, ta whatever it was. Uh, well, that he, was a bizarre day. Uh, yes, it was the not quite the punch up at Piastani, but yeah. for CFL terms, it was a wild day, and it was. A, a catalyst, if you will, to that 03 championship mm -hmm. team. And it was, you know, for your listeners who don't remember the incident, um, there was Ricky Ray ran out of 
the bounds and was hit late by Otis Floyd, who would end up playing with the Eskimos later. But Otis ran him out. It was a late hit and a bad hit, and Ricky got knocked over, and there was all sorts of mayhem there. And then a brawl ensued. And so Davis Sanchez, who's a friend of mine and, and a guy I like a great deal, uh, who's never short of an opinion, or um, and he got into it with Ed Hervey. Mm-hmm. So there's this there's a bench-clearing brawl. In football, that's wild, right? Because there's a lot of people out there. And Ed got into it took off his helmet, swung at a Davis, hit a referee, knocked him out or knocked him down. Um, I was, uh, I heard the sort of the sounds of the first, you know, I'm in McMahon Stadium where this happened and took the elevator down as fast as that elevator would take me. I ran to the field and arrived out there at about the time they were just kind of getting control of Ed and getting Davis Sanchez pushed, you know, Mm -hmm. just kind of getting control. And it was wild down there. And so the refs came over and I was standing near Dwayne Mandrusiak and his group. And they said, you need to take Hervey off the field. And they're busy. They got a team to worry about. So I'm like, okay, it's me. And so I get the key. Uh, and it's funny, like the key, and there's a picture of it and people have shared it. And it's a, like, it looks like I'm taking him to a prison. It's got a huge <laughs> ring on it and this little key. So they give it to like me. What, like that yeah, Halloween exactly. decoration. And yeah. so I'm walking out to meet Ed, the referee and the ref and Ed's yelling at the ref. And I get to there and I go, okay, Ed, and I put the, you know, hand on the lower back. Let's go 81. Let's make the, you know, the, the smoop people are booing and they're throwing beer and it's just, it's crazy. The ref and I shouldn't have done it, but Ed wasn't simmering down. And I went, shut up, Ed, which wasn't the best move I've ever made. Cause he was hot and not hearing any of it. And he didn't care that I was a friend and, mm-hmm. and he, so he looked at me like, you know, Hey, you're next. Gave you the Compton stare. Basically. Yeah, and, yeah. And, and the ref goes, well, he's all yours now. <laughs> and so, and I'm like, thanks dude. Yeah. So we make the, the trip to the dressing room and Dean, if you've ever wondered how far beer can go when it's in a plastic cup, it goes far mm-hmm. and you get wet. And later I said, Ed, how is that out of that? I got the beer and you're okay. You didn't get hit with anything. And people, anyway, we make the, and it's the two of us sitting in the dressing room and we can hear the stadium is just roaring. Mm-hmm. Right. And it's the two of us. And he, Ed looks at me and we're kind of staring at each other. And I, Paul, I said, Hey, listen, I shouldn't have said what I said. He's like, okay. I go, he's like, Hmm, this isn't good. Is it? I went, <laughs> Well, no. no, it's not the best thing we could do. However, we sold out the next game. That's right. Yeah. We sold out the next game. It was packed. You couldn't, and I th- I said to him later, I go, God, you if you'd taken a cut, man, because it was packed. Like, you could not get a ticket. It was the best advertisement mm-hmm. for the rematch. I mean, I, I don't think they've had a crowd that size for the rematch since, but it was wild. It was a wild day. And didn't you drive back? I didn't bring Ed back with him, um, with me, um, but I, I know that, like, and Rick Lawlisher uh, was there, or there was a president at the time. I remember him saying, like, once we kind of, you know, got everybody on the bus and we're heading out of town, he's like, I remember him saying, well, this should be good for business. Yeah. And I'm like, yeah, I'll see you Monday morning. Yeah. You know, and that's when you had the four days between games, that's right? right. Yeah, or, I'll a... see you Tuesday morning because we played on the Monday. So um, right. it, it was, um, yeah, that was a memorable day for sure. There's been obviously some, you know, really great guys. Like the CFL, the the cool thing I think about the CFL is that, like I said before, nobody grows up saying you want to play in the CFL as, a, as an American. Sure. So there's stories of, um, you know, a, a superstar prodigy that mm-hmm. uh, didn't work out and now he's here. 
Uh, there's stories of a guy driving a chip truck that gets his, uh, st- you know, like the the backgrounds of all the players mm-hmm. are the greatest. As you said, a doctor coming from the emergency or the operating room in, yeah. into practice. Um, but that Ricky Ray story is, uh, it's kind of like our version of Kurt Warner. It is. Uh, that's a great comparison. Um, Ricky uh, and I was there the day he arrived. Um, he told the story when he had his wall of honor, uh, night here in Edmonton recently. And I remember, you know, getting the paperwork and looking at it going, that's gotta be a fake name. Like who's Ricky Ray? Like right. that sounds, we used to laugh that maybe he took it from his XFL days. Like what? <laughs> right, Who? Yeah. And so he arrived like this, just this young guy. He had hair then with a knapsack and He'd actually been told just, I think, like 24 hours before, hey, I've got an opportunity for you in Canada by Rick Warman, who you ended up coaching with us, but played in the league and and he was down there, coached him in arena football. And Ricky was making 200 bucks a game and living on a a mattress uh, down in, um, uh, I think, San Jose, if I'm not mistaken, or somewhere anywhere down, uh, down in California. And Warman said, I've got you a chance to go to training camp with the Edmonton Eskimos, but you got to go now. And so he had a passport, which not a lot of guys do. Mm -hmm. I mean, they got to, and so Ricky jumped on a plane, came up here. And I remember being in the office and he came down the hall. um, And within a couple of days, you could hear people like people that knew like a, like a Hugh Campbell and other people at practice going, keep an eye on 15. There's something there. And you, you know, he was the fourth guy. I mean, Leon Murray was ahead of him. Jason Moss was ahead of him. I mean, Ricky did not come in as a star. He came in as a guy, oh, he's from arena football. Oh, this will go well. And well, we know the story, right? Moss gets injured. He goes in and you're off to the races. But yeah, a a chip truck, a guy from a very humble beginning, um, you, you know, a star where he, played mm-hmm. uh, but, but but you wouldn't know it you wouldn't know you'd you would never know. know it like no. there there are guys that came through that uh, locker room mm-hmm. that made sure you knew who they were oh of Ricky course Ricky Ray was a guy who you know and you know what the my you know the odd time there would be a cat stuck in a tree so I couldn't get down to the availability with my camera guy Dave yes yes and Ricky Ray would if you if I showed up and he was finished he would do it again yes yes Yo, I know. Like he saved, he was just so nice to deal with. Ricky would, um, you know, I would go to him and sometimes with ridiculous requests, not like the Ed Hervey, could you, then this, uh, just to get off topic for a second, I think it might, it was Ed's first year, if I'm not mistaken, maybe a second. So I got approached by someone from Northlands at the track and they said, uh, you know, Mr. Jameson, I'm calling from Northlands and um, we're, you know, we're aware that Ed Hervey ran track and field. He was an alternate for the U.S. Olympic track team. And, uh-huh. you know, so, and we're wondering as a stunt if Mr. Hervey would race a horse. Oh my goodness. Are you serious? So, oh yeah. So I get the call and I, 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 you know, we're at Concordia University College uh, training there. And so I go over on a break and I, and I knew Ed well, I mean, we had a good relationship, but I, you know, it wasn't sure how I could push him. Um, and I said, look, Ed, I've got this request. I'm just doing my job. Just hear me out. I've been approached. Would you race a horse? <laughs> and he kind of looked at me and I said, I'm going to take that as a hard no. <laughs> Don't say anything more. I'll go. I'll go back to Northlands and say you're not going to race the the thoroughbred. Uh, but thanks for thinking of us. And he just went. That'd be the way to go. Yeah. And I said, have a good day. And then I just I think I ran in the other direction to get away from him. Right. 
you know, but it was, but it, all of that said, Ricky was wonderful and I could go to him and some days, you know, he'd give you the look of really, you know, really, do it, though. you know, Dean wants me to go up in the helicopter <laughs> yeah, and you're like, right, could yeah. you? And he's yeah. like, okay, I'll do it. You know, but he was, he was wonderful to deal with. Yeah. He, he, he probably, uh, I always say Gene Principe is the nicest uh, media guy I've ever mm, met. Ricky sure. Ray is probably the nicest athlete I've ever met. I think that's fair. And you've dealt with a lot of, you know, from all over the the, the place in terms of sports. Um, I think that's a high compliment and it's the truth. Yeah, and it's something that he should take pride in yes. because there are some jerk athletes oh. in every sport. Like it's... Huh. No, there's also some jerk reporters. Um, uh, yeah, we got the yes. Well, I mean, you're you're on the media side now, and you were before. Yeah. But in between there, you were dealing with media. Mm -hmm. um, you know, I had some run-ins at uh, Eskimo practices with different media guys, yeah. uh, uh, reporters, and stuff too. But uh, you don't have to name names. But did you ever have any like crazy? blow up fights with any media guys you know what i i didn't um only because i think dean i um i i really and this doesn't apply to all people who work in this role in sports so i find a lot of them very adversarial yes and i not only like the people doing the job i see i i made a point of trying to wherever possible of separating the people who were there you know be it a joanne ireland or vicky mm -hmm. hall or jerry prince or whomever you separate them and the job they're trying to do on any given day because I I, I I had a very good understanding of the pressure they were under to produce a piece or right. for you to get something on the six or whatever it is. So if there's a day when it's, you know, as you say, there was a cat in the tree and you couldn't get a camera, but when you did get one, you're hustling your ass off just to get something. That's right. I, I got that. And, you know, you, you had to navigate the personality and the feelings and, and all of the tension that's within the football dressing room. But you also had another constituency over there. And I, I took this very seriously, is I was working for a bunch of people. The Eskimos paid me, and that little logo was mm -hmm. on my check. But I also had to... Um, work within the football environment. So the, and the coach, the general manager, the, the president, all of the players and all of the staff and try and t support them and, and protect. I, but I, that word is a little misleading. I think that doesn't mean saying no to mm -hmm. interviews. It just means helping the person being interviewed to be their best. And on the other side, I had reporters and, you know, um, you were one of them. I, I, I call those, you know, and older people will say, well, no, the real golden days of Edmonton sports reporting. Um, I'm pretty sure that that was a great time when we look back on it. I mean, you had all the TV stations yeah. with full sports departments. You had two papers, like truly different papers, independent, independent papers. papers. Yeah. You had, um, no, the internet wasn't necessarily a thing. I but mean, you had, uh, you know, team, team 1260 was, uh, exactly. was there. So you had more talk sports you radio. Had, you had, you had shed, you had, and, and the, both of the papers were grinding out. I mean, Jerry Prince was a terrific reporter. I mean, I, when I think of, you know, Jerry and Joanne and Vicky and the, and all of the people that I dealt with, they made me better because and they would, you know, if if you were bad on a given day, Jerry certainly wasn't shy in saying, hey, mm -hmm. you know, could you, you know, maybe step it up to a touch here? And I was fine with that because, you know, um, I ultimately, I think what I wanted to see, Dean, because I also did the marketing for the team. That's so right. I, I had the two hats here. And, you know, I could be, you know, doing whatever it was as the PR guy, but at the end of the day, all, none of it mattered a damn if we didn't put some people in the seats. Mm -hmm. And so I was always conscious of, of that relationship between whatever the media was going to be doing. And it wasn't there to spin stories. I mean, if you suck, they wrote about it. That's right. And that's okay. But you know what? 
the knowing that also when Vicki Hall would write a piece on Jason Moss's father who was killed in the line of duty mm -hmm. as a police officer and you saw the impact of that story and how it resonated with fans and even Jason Moss loved the piece. Um, you went, oh, okay, I get this. We're going to have days where, you know, things are going to be written and said about us. But the bigger picture is we're respected and, and we're worthy of the coverage. Mm -hmm. Let's not make this hard for people to come into our world because we need them. We, you know, whether you like the media or not, it's cooperation. We 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 needed and and still do, even though teams, you know, they pump out their own stuff. Ultimately, we need a columnist to say something, you know, whatever it may be. Um, isn't that better if you have a relationship? Yeah, you know, and there yeah, were stories as opposed to when you say, "Hey, can I talk to so and so?" and the media person rolls their eyes right. like it's a, you know, you just ask them to to go, you know, carry. 12 buckets of water. Exactly. And, you know, my question would be, well, if you're not going to go and at least try and get the running back, um, what are you doing here? That's right. Like, what That's your exactly job. That is your that job. Is that literally is what part you're of, here. That is literally a big part of your job exactly. is to be the go-between. Yes. I can't go back there yeah. and, and, and tell the player to come out because I'm going to get my butt kicked. Right? I always, I, I, I use this term maybe too often, but I, I said my role in that part of my job was to act as a lubricant. <laughs> Is a lubricant between yeah. uh, opposing forces and and those who did not want to talk with those who would like to talk and try to meet somewhere in the middle so we can all get this done and and do it you know uh, respectfully and mm -hmm. do it well. My favorite uh, goofy story about the CFL, other than uh, the, when they were on the Simpsons and the yes. uh, Canadian draft, is that the league drafted a dead guy. Mm -hmm. Like, do you have a favorite? Uh, you know, CFL story. I drafted I, I, a guy. I drafted a you guy. You drafted a player? Yes, there was a draft. I God, I, I should have the year. It was either Don Matthews' first year, which is 99, or maybe it was his second year. So, and not that the CFL draft is a terribly, you know, a glitzy thing now, but it used to be a conference well, better call. better than what it, it was. It, yeah. it was a phone call. And so you had all the teams. I remember right? when you, you would say, hey, the media can come down and watch the draft. What do you mean? You want me to come down and get, I'm on TV. You want me to get pictures of a guy talking on the phone? I know it was a hard sell, team. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was a hard sell yeah. in, in the visual medium. And you're like, Dave, I'm taking one shot of the phone. That's right. And I'm hearing a voice. Hamish is going to come down and get his three shots and then we're done. Yes. Um, but we had a, had the draft in the old building and it was just, you know, I, I mean, they were excited because I brought in two boxes of Tim Hortons, okay, right? So, yeah. and, and so Don Matthews, they get into the end and Don had a thing in, by round six or so, whatever it was, draft local because they can drive to training camp as opposed save to fly money. and save money and they can stay with their parents. Wow. So we get down, it's the short strokes, and I'm in the room. And he looks at me and he goes, all right, there's some names in the corner. Pick one. I don't care. So I'm looking and I'm sort of, you know, and I'm looking around the room and nobody seems to. So and I go, that guy there, Orlando Bowen. Orlando Bowen. I briefly played for the Eskimos, had a little bit more time with the Argos, but his claim to fame, if you will, um, he was in that T brief, but actually quite good series called Ballers. Not Ballers. No, um, no. Uh, what was it called? It was shot in Canada, in Toronto. Um, Playmakers. Oh, okay. Remember that? Remember Playmakers? Yeah, I do yeah, remember and, that. And yeah. he was in that. I don't think he had a starring role by any stretch, but he was in that in that, in that that show. Yeah. 
So that was your draft pick? That was my draft pick. And that Did was you the, tell him when he got to Edmonton? I, I may have, but I mean, I mean, God, can you imagine how bad that is? That's some guy, I mean. some hey, guy I'm the a, PR guy. I made your draft pick. That's how little this team cared about uh, well, you. Well, exactly. I mean, you know, here's me and my, you know, goofy double-pleated khakis thinking, you know, and like I'm football guy. No, I'm not football guy. Yeah. I just, I, I drew the short straw. Uh, okay, let's wrap with this. Sure. Um, you uh, have worked in broadcasting and then you went to the Eskimos. Now you're yep. obviously back in broadcasting at mm-hmm. TSN 1260. The changes in, you know, obviously uh, I'm well aware of these changes in, <laughs> yeah. in our yeah. in our new world. Uh, you just talked about it. We have one paper basically yep. in Edmonton now. And, mm-hmm. you know, Derek Van Deest's uh, article appears in both papers. I, I, it's if somebody ever it asked, sucks. if somebody came to me and said, I'm thinking of going into broadcasting, what do you think? I would tell them no. I, I, I feel bad for that. My nephew works for Sportsnet yeah. and he told me and my brother he was going to go, and we both told him no. But he's in, he's behind the scenes. He does a lot of other work. Mm-hmm. But even those jobs are, are um, you know, like I worked at Global and the amount of, I went from, uh, you know, guys in the studio with me to robotic cameras. Um, and then unfortunately, my job was, was my show was cut. Mm-hmm. It's just, you know, it's like, hard to make a case for it. It's and, it's and, just such a such a sad time right now. And I think Daryl McIntyre put it good. He said, "I'm not sure about the uh, the quality that's going out to the viewer anymore because of so many cutbacks. Not he's in everything, right. but no, he's absolutely the right. industry's in a tough spot right now. It really is. Um, we've we've hurt ourselves, and you know, it's funny. You read anything, and I'll keep it to radio. I I've only worked, you know, as a writer in television many years ago. Um, when I look at radio, it still exists. It's still, I won't say it's not as healthy, but I was around when I was programming 630 Chet, and I remember the arrival of satellite radio and us having a meeting and saying, whoa, really? People are going to pay for radio? Uh, this might be the death of us. Well, that's many years ago. It's still here. Um, it's not as robust. Um, uh, to your point, it was, what we're doing here is we've really eliminated opportunities for young people to learn their craft. Mm-hmm. There's no overnight shows anymore, right? Which is where I started doing news overnight in Vancouver. Um, so we look around There's not and even go, night shows anymore. Exactly. And we go, huh, I wonder where all the talent is. Well, think about it. And uh, kids are coming out of these broadcast programs now, and there almost is an expectation that they will walk into a major market. And you and I, Dean, I mean, we took different paths, certainly, but we know the slog, right? And and I, I was, I had, you know, um, some good fortune there that I was able to start in Vancouver, but I had a different way kind of coming into the business, mm-hmm. right? So it was a different approach to it. It was a different time, too. It, it, absolutely a different time. And so I, I mean, do I worry about radio? I think it's always going to have a place in the landscape, and it should, and can good work still be done? Yes, but uh, to your point, if, you know, to come back to it, would I say get into it? I would say no, unless you have a burning desire to to communicate whatever that looks mm-hmm. like, right? And so, um, you know, should you get into broadcasting? No, you should probably get into podcasting and content creation on all the different platforms, as opposed to saying, I want to work at a, you know, Station X. Yeah, like you can, listen, um, you can start your own podcast. It's so, it's not, it's, I, I it's easy to do. It's not easy to do well, as I'm, right. you know, as, learning that there's a absolutely. lot of stuff that goes with it. Yeah. But you can, 
you know, buy some equipment, start your own station, start practicing, get tips from, from other oh, people. Sure. And, and that's the, you know, pot, you know, I had a, uh, a good friend, Jack Cookson reach out. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and when I started this and he said, that's the way of, you know, that's the future, uh, you know, not that radio is ever going to go away, but podcasting is exploding. Uh, you can learn a lot by doing it on mm-hmm. your own. Um, and you know, listen, Dave, two of the stations I start, I started at CKX and Brandon, yep. and then I moved to RDTV. They're both gone. Yeah. You know, Global Regina barely has, you know, when I was at Global Edmonton, we were doing the sports cast for Nova, for Newfoundland and Halifax. And like, it's all, it's getting so small mm-hmm. that you wonder if at the end of the day, it's going to be an anchor, uh, a guy working a camera and, you know, at, at some point this, but I, I don't think it's ever going to improve. Like, I don't think that TSN 1260 is going to be like, Hey, we're, going to add this show and and uh, Sportsnet in Vancouver is going to bring this back like it's just not going to come back no I I think we're we're well into the retraction mm-hmm. <laughs> mode if you will and have been for a while this didn't just start last week but yeah I mean as, as somebody who's been in it a, a good chunk of my life and come at it you know there was an 18 year break in there right when I was right. in terms of being on air even though I was you know a program director to come back to it to see fewer people more empty offices and stuff sure it's 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 not what I knew but I also know, you know, the, the great change that we've gone through. Uh, there's still wonderful storytellers out there, great journalists, um, and lots of content to consume. I just worry, you know, again, and I'm the old guy, right? Like mm-hmm. uh, you could say, well, Dave, it's, it, don't sweat it because you're going to be, you know, um, boots up sooner than later. But I worry for the, the young guy, who or young woman who wants to get into this business because they love it. Mm-hmm. I just like to know that there's a place where they can go and, and ply their trade. Yeah. 22 years. I survived all the cuts until wow. that, you know, yeah. day in, in March where I'm surprised even, you know, to go 22 years. Uh, that's a, w- that's a hell getting, of a run. That's it, a it, hell it, of a yeah, run. It, it is. All right. I want to l- wrap up with this. Um, I don't know what I, I did your show a few times. Mm-hmm. Um, the listener audience is different than when I was on the air um, sure. as the, the nine to midnight, but in general, um, I, I, it was so disappointing to see, um, parts of society mm. now, like the texter that yes. tells you to, you should have went and killed yourself or things like that. Right. Like the, well, that wasn't just me getting those. Okay. Yeah. All <laughs> but, right. You know, like the brave person mm-hmm. behind an anonymous phone line, our, sure. our, our, our society in general thinks that because your Twitter handle is, uh, Joe Lynn 2520 that, you know, you can say whatever you want or mm-hmm. a texter can say whatever they want to you. Um, you know, I'll, I'll be honest. It was, uh, it was tough some nights getting some of those text messages. If I was having a bad day, mental health wise, I just, I just, I'm so disappointed in the, the person that hides behind a keyboard these days. And there's a lot of them, Dean. Um, And you know, here's the thing that I come back to is it, what I would say to a, a texter who hates my guts or hates what I do is, Hey, wait a minute. We're entertaining you for free. That's and they'll right. go, what do you mean free? You know, you got advertising. Yes, but you, we're not asking you. You're not, we're not asking Dean, for a quarter. You can turn us on and you've got us. Whether you think it's good or not, I can't. I have no control over that. That's a personal decision. But to your point, um, you see, I now call it text radio, not talk radio. Okay. I do the talking or my co-host Matthew Wanick and our guests do the talking, but other than the Taylor Hall trade that day when the phone lines went nuts, as yeah. you would expect, 
not very often did you have calls to go to. No. Um, this don't and, exist anymore, They right? don't. And, Even and, on the post-game show, we stopped taking calls. Exactly. And see, when I started doing sports talk radio in Vancouver, that's all. We didn't calls, have calls, 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 calls. And you would mow through. You might have on a busy night, and the Canucks lost more than often than not, and that always made people, you know, gleeful in Vancouver so they could just pummel away at, mm-hmm. you know, Tom Watt or somebody, <laughs> the coach of the day, is that they would just, they would swing away at it. But it was a conversation. You know, Steve. Even Surrey, you know, go ahead. That's right. And off he, you know, go. And you felt at least on a level there was a connection. Now the texts come in and, you know, many are good. We've got some really, I think, really smart sure, listeners. Are, but, yeah. but, and then you've got those that go, man, you're awful. I'm going to mm-hmm. Bob's show. Okay. Well, I mean, geez, you it's know. It's a good thing we live in Canada and you're allowed to do that. Exactly. You know, I've always found the ones that, uh, and listen, uh, 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 if you got a hundred text messages, there might only be 20, 15 really bad ones. Maybe, uh-huh. maybe a little bit more. I'm not sure. Yep. But it's just, you know, it's, that's human nature. You know, you, you remember the guy that told you to go kill yourself or exactly. uh, your, your wife is screwing somebody else right now. Cause you're so bored. You know, like the stuff that people say that uh-huh. unfortunately sticks with you. Um, I always understood it's like, why are you listening to me then? Like, why have you taken the time to not only listen to me, but then go to your phone and text? It's like the Howard Stern effect, right? Like, why do you listen to somebody that you hate? Listen, there are people that I do not like or Mm want to read and stuff like that. So you don't do it. So I don't. Right. It's it's amazing concept, Dave. Dean, you self-edit. And I'm drawn to the the person that, that I you know, I hate you, but I'm listening. And And I'm texting you every day for the last week or whatever. What an odd thing. This is a strange relationship we have. You hate my guts, yet you're here from noon to two, in my case, um, listening to the show. And listen, do you do great? shows every day no do you have good segments every day not a chance but you know one of the things i like about doing the job i do now at tsn 1260 is uh and there's a little bit of masochism in this is failing publicly or the (laughs) fear of failing publicly because i think that on a level keeps me sharp uh or sharper um but there's just that sort of high wire effect you know i'm i'm here i am you know up here balancing trying to keep the plate spinning and some days it goes crash Uh, those two are kind of fun i mean i've had some disasters on air but you know you just kind of go well again i'm doing it for free for Mm -hmm. you the audience that's right yeah Dave, this has been a lot of fun. I had a yeah. lot of fun uh, working with you. Oh, uh, I hope uh, we can uh, work together down the road at some point. Uh, best of luck with your show. Uh, say hello to Matthew and all the boys. And thanks very much for coming out. This has been great, Dean. It's great to see you in this new environment. Uh, and I will say this to you now, but I've thought it for many years. Um, you're a damn good broadcaster. And you you should, you must keep doing this sort of stuff, right? Because, again, you know, back to our earlier conversation about the media and where we sit right now, um, let's not lose the voices we've got, hey? Mm-hmm. Um, and, and keep doing this, whatever form, you know, it's sports, it could be, you know, the podcast, it could be anything. It's important to keep doing it. Thanks, Dave. Will do. Cameron used to sing a lot, but he stopped when his dad yelled, Shut up. Hey there. Thanks for listening. If you're looking for more great stuff for your ears, check out Podcast Alley at www.deanmillard.ca where you can find more entertaining podcasts and contests. Now let's get back to the show.
Awesome conversation with my good friend Dave Jameson. You can hear him uh, noon until 2, Monday to Friday on TSN 1260. So once again, uh, the Acme Meat Market trivia question. Who did Dave tell shut up to during a legendary Labor Day Classic game uh, with the Stampeders? The answer was in the interview uh, to uh, a man who is a fiery guy that I would be scared to tell shut up to. Anyway, up for grabs, a gift card from Acme Meat Market. Corey and Amanda and their wonderful staff uh, can be found in the Ritchie Market in Edmonton, 9570 76th Avenue. Or you can check them out online at acmemeatmarket.ca. Corey the Butcher, by the way, which is his Twitter handle, he's a member of Team Canada for the World Butcher Challenge in September 2020. So like Marc Messier is basically your butcher when you win this gift card and uh, go in and get some delicious grub from Corey and uh, his awesome staff. So if you know the answer to the question, who in the heat of the moment did Dave Jameson tell to shut up during a legendary Labor Day Classic game with the Stampeders, uh, shoot me an email, sportsandmorepod at gmail.com. That is sportsandmorepod at gmail.com. And you could be walking away with a gift card from Corey the Butcher and Acme Meat Market. By the way, last week's question and answer, who did Chris Dingman drop the mitts with for his first NHL fight? It was Stu Grimson, who, by the way, who has a new book out, and he might make a good guess someday. So there you go. That's it. Uh, next week, as mentioned, special Halloween edition, October 31st, coming out that morning. We're going to take a look at all kinds of horror movies with all kinds of different people. I love Halloween. Check out Sports and More Live, 2 p.m., Monday to Friday, on the 12-Ounce Sports Radio Network. All next week, special Halloween editions. If you knew anything about me on TSN 1260, you know I love Halloween. I'm going to go crazy next week on my live show, and we'll also be having a lot of Halloween discussions on this podcast. Big thanks to Dave Jameson for spending some time with me here in Podcast Alley. Uh, From the Marsh, I'm Dean Millard. Playtime is over. This is the Sports and More podcast with Dean Millard. Spin.